Okay, our scripture lesson today comes from the book of Mark, Mark 5, verses 1 through 20. A very uh, well-known miracle of Jesus. But today I hope to, to focus our attention on uh, the very last verse. Okay, the very last verse of uh, Mark 5, or Mark 5, verse 20. But first, the, the reading. Verse 1, Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat, he meaning Jesus, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs. And no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then he asked him, What is your name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. So all the demons begged him, saying, Send us to the swine, that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. So all those who fed the swine fled, and they told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see what it was that had happened. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and closed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. And then they began to bleed with him, Jesus, to depart from their region. Now when he had gotten into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And so he departed. It began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. Let me just pray for you, Pastor. Sure. Our Father, we ask for strengthening by your Holy Spirit as your word is preached. We ask that you would open our spiritual ears to hear and that you would soften our hearts and give us the readiness to receive your instruction. We pray, Father, for your Holy Spirit to fall upon Pastor Isaac with great power as he preaches. And we ask, Father, that you anoint our listening that you meet with us, you change us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
I want all of us uh, here to, to imagine. Imagine you are the head, you are the CEO of the latest, best, greatest, newest missionary organization there ever was. Okay? Just imagine. You're the head of that missionary organization. And you've been tasked with forming an evangelistic team to reach out to the Upper Darby, uh, Yaden, Glenolden area. <laughs> You've been tasked with forming a team, an evangelistic team, to take with you to go into this area, this area, and to share the gospel. You're tasked with interviewing people, you know, receiving resumes and interviewing people and forming your team. What kind of person would you look for? What kind of person would you hire? What kind of education, you know, would this person, might this person have? What kind of training, what kind of experience would you want? What kind of life experience or maybe previous missionary or evangelistic experience? What kind of ability, what kind of personality would you want this person to have? What kind of spiritual gifts Right? Very important. What kind of spiritual gifts would you want this person to have? Now think about yourselves. You know, the Bible's commands, what, we, what are known as imperatives, the Bible's imperatives for each of us to do personal evangelism, for each of us to do evangelism, are very clear. Right? We're not going to go through all the passages, but just, you know, some very obvious ones. Matthew 28, verse 19. Jesus, right before he goes into heaven, last command to the disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. 1 Peter 3.15, always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. Now, there are some theologians who debate whether Matthew 28 is addressed to just the disciples, the 12, or for all of us. Okay, we're not going to get into the weeds. But at the very least, 1 Peter 3 is addressed to all of us. Okay, and that's not just for the disciples. That's a circulated letter to the early churches written by Peter, who was the head of the church, right? To all the churches, always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. So all of us have a personal responsibility for evangelism. And I know that this church especially, you guys are engaged in evangelism. Personally, when I think of personal evangelism, uh, that's when things get a little dicey, for me, at least. You know, when I think about it in a theological way, like, okay, I can kind of biblically kind of, you know, reason it out. But when I think about me going out to a neighbor or to a friend or to a stranger and sharing the gospel, that's when things get a little, uh, not dicey, fear, fearful. What if I'm not good enough? What if I'm not trained? What if I don't know what to say? What if I learn what to say, but I forget? What if I learn what to say and I don't forget? I remember, but in that moment, I fumble the words or I mess it up. What if I'm shy? What if I'm not any of those things and I'm very effective, but people don't listen and they reject me and they call me names and all sorts of other things. How do I deal with that? I want us today to look at 
the last two verses of what we read. And I hope it's an encouragement for us as we think about personal evangelism. Because really, Jesus chooses the most unlikely evangelist. Okay? Um, so this is what we're going to do. We're going to talk about this in three sections. First, talk about the region. What was the region? Where was this place that this man was sent into to, to proclaim God's word? Uh, then we're going to talk about the man. And then we're going to look at his ministry. Okay? The result of his ministry. So first, the region. Uh, the region is what the Bible calls the Gadarenes or the Decapolis. If you look at verse 1, the Bible says, Then they came to the other side of the sea, meaning the Sea of Galilee, to the country of the Gadarenes. And then if you look at verse 20, there the Bible says, Then he, meaning the demon, the once demon-possessed man, departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him. I want us to just a mental picture a mental picture of that region of the world, uh, of Judah, uh, of Judea, of uh, the Sea of Galilee up in the north, the Dead Sea in the south, the, the Jordan River, okay? The region of the Gadarenes or the Decapolis, that was a Roman province. It was a Roman province on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. So if you can picture the Sea of Galilee, you have Galilee on the west side. But you have the Decapolis, the, the province, the Roman province of the Decapolis on the east side, okay? On the other side of the uh, Sea of Galilee. The Decapolis, the Gadarenes was like a smaller region within the Decapolis. Uh, the Decapolis was actually a very unique province according to that time. It was unique because of this. Most Roman provinces had two governors, most Roman provinces had a Roman governor. For example, Pilate was the governor of Judea during Jesus' time, right? During his trial. But then you also had a Jewish ruler, uh, Herod, that was appointed by the Romans, but somebody of that region, like a native ruler. So Rome actually had two rulers in each of their provinces. They had a Roman ruler and they, have a, they had a native ruler. Uh, the reason the Rome did that was so that they could quell any uprising. They figured it's much easier for us to control people if it's not just our ruler, but it's one of their own, right? Because they would listen to him, right? The Decapolis, on the other hand, it was a Roman province, but it was autonomous, meaning it did not have a Roman ruler. Each of the cities, the Decapolis literally means a group of 10 cities, each of these cities in that Roman province, each acted like its own city-state. Each city controlled its own city walls and its own uh, region around the city. Why did Rome not find it necessary to appoint a ruler or a governor over the Decapolis? The reason is because the Decapolis was such a great mixture of peoples. You know, you had to appoint Herod over Judea. Why? Because there's all these Jewish people, right? Zealots who, who are ready to, to, to assassinate the Romans, right? So you needed a Jewish ruler, Herod, or half-Jew like Herod, to, to, to control them, okay? Uh, but not the Decapolis because this is a mixture, a, a mixture of people, people with competing different 
priorities and backgrounds. So they kind of cancel each other out. Um, you know, not the least of which to say that the Capitals was a Gentile area, a very diverse, mixed Gentile area. Uh, one of the reasons that we see that this is a Gentile area is actually found in verse 15. When we look at the economy of the, the Capitals, right? In verse 15. The Bible describes there was a large herd of swine that was feeding near the mountains. What do we know about Old Testament laws about swine? They're unclean animals. You're not supposed to have them around. You're not even supposed to have them around as a flock or a herd, right? To, 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 to base your economy on. Uh, more than this, in verse 13, it says there were 2,000 swine, at least 2,000 swine. Okay, so we know this was not a Jewish area because as a Jew in Judea, you would not be caught red handed with 2000 swine Mm -hmm. just, you know, out in the countryside. So so this is a Gentile area, a a mixed, a diverse, a melting pot of a place. That's the Decapolis. Now, why? Why do we go into all this detail? Well, think about the Decapolis in terms of missionary categories, okay? When we talk about missions, fields, we usually, there's a term called the unchurched people or unchurched areas. If there was an unchurched area, this was the Decapolis, right? Think about it. You had Judea made up of predominantly Jewish folks who had the law, they had the scripture, they knew God, they had the history, they knew God. They didn't always obey God or follow him, but they, at least they knew God, had some kind of head knowledge about God, and they had the temple. Even a region like Samaria, half-Jews, they didn't have all of God's word, but they had the Torah, they had the first five books. They didn't worship at the temple, but they had their own worship places. Okay, even in the Galilee area, you know, the, 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 the place Capernaum, where, where they were more Gentile, you had synagogues where people taught the Torah, people taught scripture, people, you know, worship in these synagogues, not in the Decapolis. These, this is an unchurched area. Uh, this is a, what we would call a, like new soil, a hard soil, soil that nobody has really been on to, to really make fertile for the gospel. So that's the region. Let's talk about the man. Uh, if you look at verses 2 to 5, I'm going to read again those verses to give us this, a description of the man. <laughs> this was the man God chose to be a missionary to the Decapolis. Okay, verses 2 to 5. When he, meaning Jesus, had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains. Because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. This man we see is a violent man. This man we see is one with severe psychological problems. He's psychotic. 
You know, I shared last time I was with you guys. I work with the public defender's office in Montgomery County. My job is to go into the prisons to do interviews. Many times I interview people with what they call SMI, severe mental illness. Now, people with severe mental illness occur on a spectrum. You have highly functional people, right? People with mental illness, they're on medicines, but, but they can still talk. They can still piece together a sentence and you can still talk to them. Now, their reasoning might not always be sound, right? They might be really evil, bad, wicked people, but at least they can kind of convey their, their thoughts. And then you have the other end of the spectrum where these people is just utterly incoherent. Like the words that they put together in a supposed sentence don't make any sense. It, it's next to babbling. Uh, I think if we were to place this man on a spectrum, this man would be on the incoherent side, meaning he can't even, it's not just he's violent and he's got a bad past and he's a wicked, you know, he's a demon tortured man. It's that I don't think he would be even able to, to, to intelligibly convey anything, much less the gospel. Now think back to the initial question we asked us. If you were the head of a missionary organization and you had to send a man out to this Decapolis to be a missionary, what's the training? What's the background? What's the education? What's the level of uh, charisma or, or the ability to speak that, that you would look for in a person before sending him? You know, I think when, when we think about evangelism, even personal evangelism especially, we so much focus on ability, talent, even spirit. I'm not saying any of these are wrong. I'm saying they're, they're all great factors, right? Spiritual, of course you want to find somebody with this spiritual gift. Of course you want to find somebody who, who's able to put together an intelligible sentence, okay? Of course you want to find somebody with a good Christian life and, and good Christian character in order to, to send this person out. But it's interesting, isn't it, that, that, that Jesus, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, who has a heart for this area of all the people that he sends to the capitalists, it's not even one of his disciples. He doesn't say to one of them, hey, you two stay here and share about what happened because you guys are trained because you've been following me. He says to this man, of course, he's been healed, right? But, but, but other than that, he has nothing. He has nothing. He says to this man, you go and you tell of the wonderful things, of the great things that God has done for you. Okay, so that's the man God chose. The missionary work. Let's look at the result of his missionary work. Verse 20. And he, this demon-possessed man, departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled doesn't say that all were converted and were saved but at least you have to have people marveling before you convert people right okay so so we don't know exactly how many people came to know god in the decapolis but at least all marveled okay now there's some uh we'll just get into the weeds a little bit uh if you if you look at the Three, uh, three different synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, they all describe this event and they all describe the man going to different places. First, he goes to uh, his own city. Uh, one says he goes to the region. 
he went back to his home region. And then here in Mark, it says he traveled in Decapolis, meaning all throughout the area. So what was it? Did he stay within his own city state? Did he travel just around that city state? Or did he go all across the Decapolis? Uh, probably all three. Okay, he probably went home first, like Jesus said, and talked to his friends and family and neighbors. And then he spread out from there. And then he eventually went out all over the Decapolis. Like that's what he did. And all marveled. Here's the question for us. How? What's the secret? When you want that secret, like, I don't think any of us would be boasting to say, I think all of us are in a better situation than that man. More learning, more ability, more talent, more gifting, whatever, right? As well as, I don't think God puts any of us in as difficult a situation as that man to evangelize the entire Decapolis. Think about the Decapolis today. East of the Galilee Sea. Where is that? That's southern Syria. Think about the stories of Syria. This was before COVID took over everything, right? Mm -hmm. All the stories in the news was about Syria. ISIS. Islamic terrorists. This is a still hard place to do church. And this was the place that God sent this man. And all marveled. How? What's the secret? I think the secret is in verses 18 to 19. And the secret is actually not that big of a secret. Okay, verses 18 to 19. And when he, Jesus, got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you. And how he had compassion on you. Here's the secret. He heard the word of Jesus. He, had, he believed in it. And he simply obeyed. He just obeyed. There's no secret formula. He just heard. He believed it. And he went and did it. <laughs> Isn't that our problem most of the time? It's not a problem of preparedness is not a problem of training it's not a problem of experience or what to say it's a problem of it's right here right i don't believe enough and i don't want to obey enough but this guy with less in a field that's much worse or harder much harder he simply believed and he simply obeyed yeah now, I, I, I propose to you that that is actually not such a hard concept for us. We actually do this with all the other parts of Scripture, except for maybe evangelism. Okay, for example, Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. We all know these verses. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your path. We trust and we obey that. Right? We trust that when we put all of our paths before the Lord and don't trust our own understanding that he will make our paths straight. And we actually do that a lot of time, most of the time, right? Philippians 4, 6 to 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind through Jesus Christ. Right? We believe and we obey and we reap the promise of that, right? We get the peace of God that surpasses understanding because we simply 
believe and obey. We just go to God with all of our prayers and supplications and he fills us with his peace. We have no problem with this concept of believing and obeying when it comes to other parts of scripture. 1 John 1, 8 to 9. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all righteousness. We believe and obey that. We want that promise. We want to be cleansed. We want to be cleansed from all unrighteousness. So what do we do? We simply hear, we believe, and we do it. We confess, and then it happens. Except when it comes to evangelism. Why? The one demon-possessed man simply believed the command of Jesus. He simply heard it. He simply believed it. And he simply obeyed, and guess what? God did everything else. Why did God? Why did God choose it that way? The Bible doesn't say, but this is my hypothesis, because all the glory would belong to God and not this man. You look at the annals of great missionaries, Fox's Book of Martyrs. I don't think you would find this guy, but I, I would put his work out there. I mean, he was sent before the other disciples were sent. And he was sent to southern Syria, of all places. And all marveled. And we don't know his name. The scripture doesn't, and, and that's, I think that's okay. And then all the glory belongs to God. Right? All the glory belongs to God. You know, the, the passages that we read. Old Testament passage, God telling Abraham, go, I will bless you and you will be a blessing to others, right? I realize that is ultimately fulfilled in Christ because we are like Abraham, children of faith, okay? That is ultimately fulfilled in Christ, how all of us are blessed as children of Abraham. But, but think about how Abraham should have process, would have processed that himself and would have carried that promise out himself, right? The Bible doesn't exactly describe this, but I don't think it's, too hard to, to imagine that he would process it as, well, God's going to bless me, and what's my task now? I'm going to now go tell others of the great things that God has done for us. The Psalms that we read and we sing remind us, oh, my soul, do not forget the benefits. Do not forget what great things God has done for us so that we can go tell others. Ephesians 1 puts it in a much more complex way. We have been blessed with all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, right? But again, evangelism is not even about importing or or, or transmitting that theology onto other people, right? Because this demon-possessed man didn't have any of that. His, His command was simple. Just tell others of the great things that the Lord has done for you. And then what's the secret? What's the secret to success? You believe, you just obey, and then let God do the rest. He heard it. He heard it. Yeah, and God is able to do wonderful things. What great things has God done for you? You know, you guys are involved in evangelism, so I'm not, I'm just preaching to the choir. So I'm just hoping that this is an encouragement for you as you go about Okay? It just takes obedience and God will do the rest. I think the church needs to hear that. The church needs to hear that. Yeah. 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 Ye
Yeah, we put, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll stop the sermon here, but, uh,